time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, my friends. How are you? And welcome to today's edition of the financial physician. My name is Lou Scatigna, certified financial planner, and your money doctor twice a week, uh, Sunday show that you're listening to now, uploaded by 9 a.m. Sunday morning, and then we do our midweek podcast, about half half the duration of the Sunday show, about an hour, comes up on 4 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. Hopefully you, you caught our midweek podcast, because we talk about things on that show that we don't talk about on this one, because I don't want to double up for people who, who listen to the show. And we, we get about a, about three quarters of the people who listen to the Sunday show are now listening to the midweek podcast. So thanks so much uh, for that. Lots to talk about today. Lots of different things going on. Later in the program, we'll talk about uh, the crazy leftist district attorney uh, in uh, Atlanta who's going after Trump for racketeering uh, and going after his entire circle of advisors, attorneys, Anybody's chief of staff in the White House, it's really getting out of control, so we're going to dive into that later on. Uh, the Biden administration is planning mask mandates again and lockdowns uh, as, uh, conveniently, a new variant of interest uh, of COVID emerges. And you're hearing it all over the press now. It's all coordinated. They're gearing up. It's an election year next year. we got to get those mail-in ballots going. Uh, we'll dive into that. Uh, oh, did you know that Joe Biden is actually also known as Robert L. Peters? That's right. He has a pseudonym or, or a number of them as he was communicating with Hunter Biden in foreign countries uh, using an alias. Uh, it just gets more and more bizarre. Uh, the Biden's crime family. It's, it's just nuts. We're going to get into that. Uh, oh, by the way, it's not, now it's legal uh, to run ballots multiple times through tabulation machines in Atlanta. Uh, no repercussions for that, uh, again, because it's Democrats doing it, so we'll get into that. And we have much, much more here on The Financial Physician. And I want to start off the show talking about capital gains on real estate. A lot of people, I get calls all the time from clients uh, who aren't sure what happens when they sell their house. And many people still believe that there's a one-time $125,000 exemption, and if you buy a new home in two years, you don't have to pay taxes. This law was changed 20 years ago, and people are still holding on to it, uh, and people just don't know what the tax situation is when they sell their home. So I want to go over different scenarios here, because it's really important to understand what your tax ramification is going to be. If you uh, sell your home now, a capital gain, what is it? A capital gain is simply when you buy something at one price and you sell it at a higher price, whether it's a stock, whether it's a bond, whether it's a mutual fund, whether it's a gold coin, whether it's your home, the difference is a capital gain and capital gain tax rates could be 
zero. It could be 15%. It could be 20% plus a 3.8% investment tax for people with higher incomes. So the capital gains tax is determined by your income limit. So let's talk about the sale of a home because it's different. All right. Now, there's something to keep in mind, too, here. Uh, There's long-term capital gains and there's short-term capital gains. What's the difference? Long-term capital gains means you have to hold an asset for 12 months. So if you hold an asset more than a year, you're you're under the long-term capital gain scenario. So if you bought a stock uh, for $1,000 and you held it for a year and then you sold it for $2,000, you're under long-term capital gains rates. If you sold it prior to a year, uh, you're going to be charged taxes at regular ordinary income tax rates. So that could be as high as 37%, depending on your income. So it's always advantageous to have long-term capital gains versus short-term capital gains. And so this applies to real estate as well. So let's talk about exemptions on capital gains. Something happened about 20 years ago, which is one of the best things to ever happen for Americans as far as taxes go. And there isn't too many good things that have happened over the years um, in the, uh, as far as taxes go. They just started getting worse and worse and worse. But the rule was changed where if you're married and you sell your home and you have a capital gain and you live there, very important, you live there two of the previous five years and it's your primary residence. This is not... Uh, work with vacation homes, second homes, whatever, and I'll t- touch on that in a second. But if it's your primary residence and you're married, you could have as much as a $500,000 capital gain tax-free. I mean, that's huge. I mean, it's really huge. Uh, and why that's so important is that uh, for many people, the capital gain in their property is their retirement plan. Uh, that's where most of their assets are. Most of their wealth is, is in their home. Although that's been changing over the last 15, 20 years as more and more Americans are retiring uh, with mortgages still on their home. But if you sell a house um, and you have, say, a $600,000 capital gain, well, the first $500,000, if you're married, is exempt. And you'd pay long-term capital gains rates on the $100,000 above that, which for most people be 15%. That's a good thing. Uh, What if you're single? Well, if you're single, you have a $250,000 exemption on the home. So if you have a capital gain that's $300,000, the first two fifty dollars is tax exempt, and you pay long-term capital gains rates uh, on the $50,000 above that. So this is very, very generous. Um, uh, you don't get a deduction if you, you lose money on the sale of a home like you do on a stock. Uh, that's a negative, but not too many people sell a home for a loss. Um, so if you, uh, you don't have to buy a new home in a certain amount of time, and you could do this a number of times over the course of your lifetime. So say I had a house, you know, I lived there the last three years. I have a $200,000 capital gain. We've had great appreciation in real estate. Uh, I sell that house. I'm married, totally tax-free. I go buy in another house and I hold it for at least two years. It's my primary residence. Uh, I make a $100,000 capital gain on that property. Tax rate. So you can continue to do this. The key here is the two-year living 
situation. You got to be in there two years. And why is that part of the tax law? Is because they don't want people who are in the business of speculating on real estate or uh, or flipping properties uh, to avoid regular income tax rates. So this is only good if you live there two years, uh, and that stops people from from uh, just flipping houses and trying to use capital gains rates on it. So that's a good thing. Now, what happens? First, let me go over how you figure out the capital gain on a property. Your selling price, let's say it's $500,000. You subtract from that selling price the settlement costs. Did you pay a real estate commission? Did you pay an attorney? Is there a deed transfer fee? Any cost. When you get your settlement statement, uh, from the attorney, the HUD settlement statement, where you have the buyer side, the borrower side on one side, the seller side on the other, you'll see where all your settlement expenses are. And there'll be a total at the end of that form. And that's the figure you use. So say it's $30,000 with everything. So now your $500,000 sale is lowered by $30,000. So your net proceeds is four seventy. dollars Now you got to figure out your cost basis in the property. And this is a little bit more um, difficult because the cost basis is the amount you paid for the property. Pretty easy to ascertain that. Plus any improvements you put in the property over the years. Now, say you lived in a property for 30 years. Uh, you're probably not going to have receipts um, for that fence you put up or to every contractor that worked on your basement. Um, or the time you had your roof replaced. I mean, we don't think about that. You know, we don't say, well, I better save this because when I sell this in 30 years, I'm going to need this to, to prove my cost basis. Nobody does that. So when a, a tax client comes to me and they sold a property, especially one that they've had long term where it's difficult to know what the cost basis is, um, I say, okay, so how much did you pay for it? Uh, okay, we'll start from there. Estimate as best you can all the money you put into that property over the years, all the improvements. And you'll be surprised how much that adds up to, especially if you've lived in a house for 30 years or longer, how much money you've put into it in improvements. Uh, and we make up a number. That's basically what it is. It's just a matter of, I call it a beneficial estimate um, because we forget about a lot of stuff. And uh, then we add that to the purchase price. So say we pay 200000 for the property, uh, and we estimate we put 200000 into it over the years, the cost basis is 400000 So you separate, you, you subtract the, the, the cost basis for the net amount of proceeds you received after settlement cost, and that's your capital gain. And if it fits into that uh, $500,000 exemption if you're married, or 250000 if you're single, the entire Profit is tax-free. There's no other asset that is so generous as far as uh, uh, taxes go uh, than your own primary residence. And again, this is one of the, the good things that government's done for us. Uh, and, I mean, they could change it. Um, we're broke. Maybe they're going to look at it, changing it back. But I don't think people would be very happy with that. Now, what happens if you have a house, you're married, You've lived there a long time, at least two years, and your spouse passes away, and you sell the house the next year. What exemption do you have? 
Well, the answer is you have a $500,000 exemption because the way the tax law works is if you sell the house within two years of a spouse passing, you still get the full $500,000 capital gain. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, and it may be a tax strategy. If you have a significant capital gain in your home, more than 250000 and your spouse passes away, you may want to consider selling that property within the next two years to get the full $500,000 exemption. Real important planning uh, to do. And, and I've worked with, with surviving spouses on this, saying, look, you know, we got a $500,000 plus capital gain here. If you sell it in the next two years, it's tax-free. If you sell it after two years, you're going to pay tax on the amount over 250000 So say it's another two hundred fifty. Say it's $500,000 capital gain and you can only deduct 250000 Well, you're going to pay, let's say, 15% on $250,000, which is what, 45000 in federal income taxes? Quite a bit of money, right? So it would behoove you to consider selling the property within the two years after your spouse passes away. Now, what about um, a second home, a vacation home? Well, you're going to pay capital gains on the entire amount. There's no deduction. There's no exemption. So what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to take uh, the value of the property, any improvements you put in it, minus the net settling cost, and you're going to pay capital gains taxes on that. Uh, there's no way around it. And a lot of people are surprised about that. They think they're going to get an exemption on their second home as well. It's only the primary residence. You've had to live there two of the last five years. Uh, and uh, I've had people come to me and they've, they've sold their houses, two, $300,000 capital gain on it. And I say, all right, we have to write a check for 50000 to the IRS. And they look at me like I'm nuts. Uh, but that's the way. Uh, the rules go. And it gets more complicated on rental property or if you have a short sale on a property. Uh, if your home is destroyed, uh, that has separate rules as well. And I don't, I don't want to get into to all of them. There's something, if you have a rental property, something called a 1031 exchange. Whereas if you sell a property for a gain, but you buy a similar property and rent it out, you can delay the capital gain. Uh, that's called a 1031 exchange. Uh, but we don't want to, we don't want to get too complicated on this. But just be aware that your primary residence, and some people make the mistake of selling their primary residence before the two year period's over, uh, and uh, and that's a big problem, especially if there's significant capital gains in there too. Now, if you're forced to sell the house before the two years are over because of a health issue or your job moved or or some kind of circumstance. Uh, you're able to get a partial exemption on that. But it has to be for specific reasons. And most people don't really fall under that. So uh, make sure you understand the taxes on real estate, as always, and, and it drives me nuts how many people do not get advice from an accountant or a certified financial planner before they do anything financial. Uh, it's just so stupid, uh, but people do it all the time, and then they come to me, and I find out they sold their house after a year and a half. All they had to do was hang out another six months, and they would have saved fifty, sixty thousand 60000 in taxes. It's just just incredible how people are just will just do things, uh, thinking that they know what they're doing uh, without getting proper advice. I always tell my clients, 
always call me with Lou. Guess what I'm thinking about doing? What do you think? Versus telling me, Lou, guess what I did? Uh, I can't help you in that regard. <laughs> uh, but I can tell you, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. Before we do this, why don't we wait a little bit longer and we're going to save this kind of money? And I say, oh, geez, I didn't know that. Oh, thanks for telling me, Lou. Uh, and with my clients, it doesn't cost them anything to give me a call and talk to me about it or come in. Uh, uh, I'm more than happy to give them that advice. Or anybody, a listener calls me and, and, and asks me a, a tax advice or a financial advice. I don't charge them. And I'm available to all of you out there. You know, you email me, lewwiththefinancialphysician.com, call my office at AFM Investments, uh, and just ask me a question. Say, look, can you help me out with this? Uh, and I'll be more than happy to give you complimentary advice. Uh, if you take the time out to listen to this program, and obviously you are because you're listening right now, uh, I owe you, uh, and I'd be more than happy. I love our listeners. I, I love helping our listeners out any way I can with a personal finance question, an issue they have, uh, or they need some direction on an issue, or they, they want a referral to where to buy gold or, or for an estate attorney, um, uh, I'm available for all that stuff. And I do really, um, really get a good uh, feeling when I'm able to help you. All right, let's shift gears to uh, inheritance. You know, it's nice to inherit money. I don't know what that is. Uh, I will never inherit a dime in my life. Uh, there's just nobody, uh, in my family that has any money. Uh, my parents, you know, God bless them. Uh, they, they, when they passed away, they had little money, uh, barely enough to, um, to bury them. Uh, and, uh, so I'm not going to inherit any money. So inheritance isn't a big deal for me. Uh, but most people are going to inherit money from their parents. And, and, and for many people, that's their retirement plan. Uh, I've said on this program, we have a retirement crisis here in the United States. And the retirement crisis is little in the way of savings, debt against their house, their car, student loans, uh, a small 401k, if that, uh, and uh, Social Security isn't going to be their only income. Not not a good situation for many Americans uh, as millions and millions of boomers are retiring here. But for some lucky retirees, uh, inheriting their parents' money is their retirement plan. But there's different assets that you can inherit. There's good assets to inherit and there's bad assets to inherit. What's a good asset? Cash. <laughs> I want to inherit that savings account. I want to inherit your CDs. Uh, cash is king. Uh, I don't want to inherit other things. You know, real estate is fine. I mean, you know, it's illiquid and whatnot, but, you know, it's got value. But the best asset to leave in my experience as a financial planner and a state settlement agent uh, is cash. Uh, brokerage accounts are good, too, uh, because they're so easy to value. They're easy to divide. But everything else gets a little more complicated. So here are some of the worst assets to inherit. And uh, what you can do to manage them before you're gone. One of the worst things uh, to inherit is a timeshare. Because a timeshare is a, a, a long-term contract. Where you agree to rent out a, a place for an annual trip. A lot of times it's the same week every single year. But you have to pay maintenance fees every year. And these fees go up. I've owned a number of timeshares in my life. Uh, one I had in Cancun, Mexico, 
was costing me over $1,000 a year in maintenance fees. But I got a week free. But when I think about it, I'm like, well, I got a week free, uh, but it's costing me $1,000. So that's like, what, $175 a night? Where's the advantage of having the timeshare? I have to go that one week every year. Timeshares are awful. And most people who buy them are on vacation somewhere uh, and they're given something free, a free lunch or dinner or a free day at the resort. Uh, but you have to go through a high pressure sales pitch. And I've been a victim of that myself. Uh, and it sounds really compelling how great it is. Look how beautiful this place is. Would it be nice, honey, to come here every year, bring the kids? It's nice. But uh, if you uh, pass away and your kids inherit the timeshare, they're going to be on the hook for ongoing, forever increasing contract costs. That's just the way it is. And uh, it's hard to get out of it. Now, you could refuse to accept the timeshare, which is what you should do. Uh, and you would make a formal disclaimer of the timeshare to the timeshare company. Look, I inherited this timeshare, but I don't want it. And nobody in the family wants it. We disavow ourselves of it. Uh, and uh, the, the executive would send a written document uh, to the timeshare company saying they do not accept the property. And usually it'll go away. Uh, but if you go and use it once, say you inherit this and you go down there and you use it once. And then you say, you know what? I don't want this. You're on the hook. Now, if you just abandon the timeshare, they're going to continue to come after you. Uh now, I did that. I abandoned the timeshare, and they were coming after me for a couple of years, and I just, you know, from Mexico. I said, you know, yeah, good luck with that. You ain't going to see me again. Um, but there's companies out there that um, that get you out of timeshares. You've heard the commercials on the radio, and I think they're pretty um, uh, pretty good. Uh, and uh, But you don't want to inherit that. You also don't want to inherit collectibles. Although I wouldn't mind inheriting some gold coins, but I don't want to inherit that stamp collection or artwork. Um, it's just not easy to liquidate. It's not easy to value. And when you're splitting an estate amongst a number of different beneficiaries, you want things that are easy to value, that are div divisible, where, where you could share it. I mean, if, if I have this, this stamp collection and my dad's uh, will says that the residual state split amongst his five kids. What do we do with that? Now we have to go find somebody to value it. Uh, and chances are they're going to be undervaluing the assets. Uh, then you got to sell it. And then you got to divvy up the money. Uh, I'd rather have cash or a brokerage account. So much easier to see what the value is. Uh, so, uh, Either sell your collectibles before you die or discuss with your children who would want it, if anybody. And then you'd be specific about that in your will. Uh, but if nobody in your family really is interested in your stamp collection, your best bet is to sell it for cash uh, and have them inherit the cash prior to your death. Another thing you do not want to inherit is guns. Uh, guns can cause substantial problems as inheritances. 
they're not the kind of property you could just hand over to another person, you know, without uh, proper registration or permits. Uh, each state is different. Uh, you could be doing something illegal by holding a gun that you inherited from a parent. For example, in New York, when someone dies, their executor can possess their guns for up to 15 days without incurring criminal liability. And that's a very short window. Uh, uh, What usually happens is the heirs or the executor will call the police to inventory and store the guns up to a year during probate. Uh, the, the heirs cannot legally transport the guns themselves. So the police actually, I have to go to your house and take the guns. And uh, certain firearms like, uh, fully automatic weapons and short barreled rifles or shotguns, uh, uh, if they weren't properly registered during your parents' lifetime, They can't be registered after the fact or passed down to heirs, and they'd have to be abandoned. So if you want your kids to inherit your guns, uh, you better start planning as soon as possible. Because the heir who's going to get the gun uh, probably needs to set up uh, proper firearms permits for themselves before they can accept the property. And... uh, Now, you could work with a gun dealer so they can store your guns and then sell them after you pass away. Uh, The key here is to plan uh, early so you avoid a scenario where you've left guns in the the car trunk or the garage. Uh, This is a very, very sticky issue, is guns. Especially here in New Jersey, any blue state that want guns to be illegal, basically, uh, will make it so difficult that you could screw up so easily in what you do with these guns. Another thing that most people don't want to inherit is an operating business. I mean, how do you value that? Uh, uh, Now, if you have a a business and one of your children work with you at that business and you want them to inherit that business and they love that business, well, that's fine. But how do you make the estate equal amongst all your children if one of them is going to inherit a business that maybe is worth a million bucks? It's really difficult. Uh, another thing you could do, say you have a partner uh, and uh, or, and you pass away and you're a single person. Now your partner has a new partner, which is your kids, because they're going to inherit his shares in the business. And the last thing your partner probably wants is five of your kids uh, sticking their nose into how to run your business. So if you have a business, the smartest thing for you to do is not let your kids inherit the business. The smartest thing you could do is enter into what's called a buy-sell agreement. What a buy-sell agreement means is if I was to die, what happens is I have a life insurance policy for the value of my half of the business. And when I die, my partner is the beneficiary. He gets the money. And then by contract, he uses that money to buy out the share of the business uh, that my heirs would own. And I have a buy-sell agreement in my firm with my partner, Martin. Uh, Martin doesn't want my wife to be his partner if I pass away. 
And of course, if I pass away, I want my wife to get the value of the business. I don't want her to have to worry about, you know, how is she going to get value or income out of the business? So if I'm to die, my partner will get a substantial amount of money, at which point he will give that money uh, to my wife and own the entire firm. And vice versa, if he was to die, the same thing. I don't want his wife as my partner, uh, nor does she want to be my partner. Uh, so a buy-sell agreement is really, really important if you have partners in a business and you don't want uh, your children uh, to have to inherit that business and deal with it. Another thing you really don't want your kids to inherit uh, is vacation properties. This is another potential financial and emotional landmine, especially if you're leaving the property to multiple family members. We've got a condo in Florida and my five kids are going to inherit it. That's when a fighting really starts because, and I've seen siblings stop speaking to each other due to fights over inherited vacation property. You're going to fight over, should we keep it or sell it? Say it's $500,000 vacation property and you have five kids. Well, two or three of them may want their hundred grand. They don't want the vacation property. Or maybe they're going to start uh, having disagreements over how often each can use the property. Who owes what for repairs? And again, whether you should sell, whether you should uh, buy one of them out, and at what value. And especially if you know you have some heirs that live far away from the property, they're not going to want it. And vacation property comes with significant expenses like maintenance, property taxes. Um, so how are you going to agree on terms with your brothers and sisters on how to who's paying for what and so forth? Uh, not a good thing. Uh, if you're towards the end of your life, have a discussion with your family members. Does anybody want this property? And then what you do is, you know, you bequeath the property to, to those who want it and then figure out out of your estate, how to compensate the, your other children. And this is where estate planning starts. It gets a little complicated. Now, one thing to keep in mind as well is that, you know, when you get towards the end of your life and you have to think about these things, you're really thinking about your health and you, you're not in, in a position to start dealing with all this stuff. Uh, and that's another complicating factor. So uh, if you're getting older and you have a vacation property, and you've discussed with your family about it. And, and, and this is the important thing, discussion. Uh, too many people do not discuss their estate uh, and how it's going to be settled with their children. They're very private about it, and I, I, I don't know why. Um, now, it's not as much now as it was earlier in my career. But I had you know a woman in my office recently. She's worth about $2.5 million. You wouldn't know it. You know, she's not ostentatious. She doesn't drive around a Mercedes. She, she, you know, she just accumulated this money over the years, her and her husband, and the husband passed away. And I, I said to her, does your two children realize how much money you have? And she said, no. I go, why not? And she just hasn't had that discussion with them. So as you get older in life, you want to have these discussions with your children. Now, you don't, not when you're 65, you know, but when you're in proximity to the end, you know, five years or whatever, this is when you want to start having these discussions and think these things through. Now, you may decide after talking to your kids that you want to sell a vacation property. Uh, and again, it comes down to cash. Uh, cash is king. 
uh, sell a property. Now, again, we mentioned earlier about capital gains on vacation property. You may have to pay taxes on it. And if they inherit the property, they'd get a stepped-up cost basis. So there's a tax factor here we have to consider. Maybe it'd be better for the kids to, you know, inherit the property, then sell it to get that stepped-up cost basis. But these are all the things you got to talk to an accountant or certified financial planner about. It's all part of -of end-of-life planning, estate planning. And it, it just baffles the mind how many people do none of this. They have a simple will. If that, I know a lot of people don't have wills, older people, Um, but these things need to be planned. They need to be discussed. Tax situations need to be evaluated. What else do families fight about that you don't want to inherit, people to inherit? And this this is a big one. And, and, And that's physical property, things that you own, especially those things with sentimental value. And fights just don't happen over cash or property. Uh, it comes to the little things sometimes. And sometimes household or personal items carry more sentimental value than money. And I've seen it all the time, which adds more emotion to disagreements. And this is, I can't tell you how many families I've seen break apart after mom dies over things like this. It's not the big stuff. I mean, it's mom's wedding ring. What if you have two daughters? Who gets the wedding ring? Are you going to let them fight over it? Or how about that 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 portrait or painting over the fireplace that's been there for 40 years? The kids grew up looking at it from the floor when they were toddlers. Oh, I want that painting. How about dad's golf clubs? Or dad's uh, uh, jewelry? I mean, families fight over this stuff. And another thing about physical property, it's harder to tell what it's worth. Uh, So how do you make sure that the inheritance is even? So to avoid trouble, start planning out your physical property ahead of time. Make it clear who will receive what to prevent arguments. Now, I've mentioned on this program many times, I developed 25 years ago uh, a document. It's called uh, a state letter of instruction. It's not a will. It's something separate from the will. But it's, I think it's a 15 or 17-page template that lists all your assets, where all your brokerage accounts are, where, where all your money is, any debts that you have, who your advisors are. Um, it, it's a very, very helpful document for families after you pass away. But one of the pages that I have in there, it's called Personal Property Designation. And this is where you list these items that your family's probably going to fight over. Who gets what and why? Now, it's better to have the discussion with your family uh, prior to them discovering this after you die. Uh, you know, Let everybody know why you've made decisions in your estate. Don't let them find out after you die. That's what causes family tension. And also hard feelings. Do you want your children to have hard feelings about you because of something you did or didn't do? It's important to discuss your estate. And I encourage my clients to have family meeting. Now, not when you're 65, not when you're 70, unless you're terminally ill. I'm talking about when there's one husband or wife left, 
you're in your 80s, typically your health is starting to decline. Now is the time to have a family discussion. Have everybody come over to the house. Uh, If somebody's out of state, put them on a conference call. So everybody's on that phone call and discuss the ins and outs of what's going to happen with your estate after you die. Explain to your children what you have, uh, where it is, how you're going to break it up, and the reasons why. And this is especially true if um, you're going to give uh, an estate that's not equal. I've seen this so many times in my career. You want to say, I've seen everything in my, I mean, you know, in October, it's going to be 40 years I've been in financial services uh, and 35 years as a certified financial planner with my own firm. I've seen everything when it comes to money. And you'll be surprised how close siblings could break apart after you die. Is that what you want to leave in the wake of your death? An estranged family? No, you do not. Uh, So it's important to have this family meeting and discuss things. Now, yeah, you could talk to everybody individually prior to that if you want. Maybe you don't want to do it all in the group setting because you don't want people to start fighting and everything else. You've made these separate discussions and then had that meeting. Whatever works for your family because everybody's family dynamic is different. I've had families that are the most loving families and everything was smooth and there was no issues at all. Uh, And I've had families that were close Uh, and the siblings don't talk to each other anymore for the rest of their lives over the settlement of the estate. So very, very important that, uh, you know, you don't leave your family in the lurch after you die. Uh, and that, that's really, really important. Uh, and you know, sometimes it's smooth and look, I'm giving, I'm giving this golf club to Joey because Joey plays golf. (laughs) That wouldn't make sense. Right. Uh, but if you're, you're giving, um, you know, your wedding ring to your oldest daughter, well, your youngest daughter may be very unhappy about that and make sure you have that discussion with them. And especially true, as I was just mentioning about unequal inheritances, that's what's really causes big problems in the family. So you may say to yourself, well, my son, Joey, uh, is, uh, very well off. He's doing well. He's a lawyer, makes good money. Uh, he really doesn't need my money. Although my daughter, she has three kids. They struggle to pay their mortgage and get by. I want to give uh, the lion's share of my estate to my daughter and uh, say 75%. And I want to give 25% to my son. Let me tell you, you better have that conversation with your son. He better not find out after you die and the will is read that his sister is getting 75% of your estate. Uh, there's a good chance that those two will never talk again. And if that's what you want, then don't say anything. But the will is a terrible place to keep secrets. And it's important that you do your estate planning right. You have those conversations. Uh, You understand there's different types of inheritances. There's good inheritances. There's cash brokerage uh, brokerage accounts, maybe your home. And there's bad things to inherit. Another thing to consider is tax situation. Uh, You're going to leave your 401k to your son, but your house to your daughter? Well, the 401k is 100% taxable. The house due to the stepped up cost basis is tax-free. So if you're giving a $500,000 401k to one child and you're giving a $500,000 home 
or stock portfolio to another child, that's not equal inheritances. Because the child inheriting the retirement plan has a major tax liability. Do you see how complicated all this stuff can get? Uh, Do you see if you make a mistake, you could destroy your family? That's why it's so important to go speak with an estate planner, an elder attorney, uh, a certified financial planner, and make sure as you get older that your generational wealth transfer strategy is in place. All right, let's take a short break. My name's Lou Scatigna. You're listening to the Financial Physician Podcast. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Argentus Advisors. Be sure to listen to The Financial Physician with Luce Katigna every Sunday from 9 to 11 a.m. on Beach Radio 1160 and 1310 a.m. Or listen to the archives online at thefinancialphysician.com. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Welcome back to the Financial Physician Podcast, where we talk money, markets, and politics, and basically anything I want to discuss, uh, whatever moves me. Uh, I talk about everything here on this show, Uh, mainly current events and finance and markets, but we talk about everything. Whatever I think is interesting, and I think that's what makes our show unusual, is that we do have an eclectic lineup of things that we talk about. And thanks so much for joining us. We do upload two podcasts a week. Uh, The main podcast, the longest one, is the Sunday show that runs anywhere between, I don't know, an hour and 40 minutes and two hours. Uh, And then uh, that's up at 9 a.m. Sunday mornings, usually earlier, like 7 Uh, And then we have our midweek podcast that I upload on Wednesday at four in the afternoon Eastern time. And that's a lot of the overflow I don't get to on the Sunday program. If you see the pile of things in front of me right now to cover on this show, it's just I can go four hours probably and not cover everything. That's how many that's how much stuff is going on in our world. And we live in a crazy world these days. We all know it. Everybody knows something's wrong. Something's not right. Um. And you won't hear the truth on mainstream media, so we try to bring it. We do bring it. We do bring the truth to you here. Um, I research uh, the stuff I bring to you, I research pretty thoroughly. And I'm comfortable uh, that everything I bring to you is accurate. And when it's not, I'll tell you that I'm not sure. Uh, But I do a lot of research during the week to bring this program to you 
and bring you a quality broadcast uh, that is full of truths and uh, not fake news. Uh, and we don't emit the news that we don't think is helpful uh, to the narrative. Uh, we bring it straight to you. Now, this week, uh, we're starting to see markets starting to roll over. Uh, uh, for three straight weeks, I think the market's been down now after having a wonderful uh, first um, seven months of the year. Uh, we're seeing markets roll over it. And I think this is the beginning of a much larger downturn in the stock market, especially. Uh, this week, the Dow was down 2.21% for the week. Uh, it's up only 4% for the year. So the gains are being whittled away uh, in the Dow and, and other indexes. The S&P 500 down 2.11% for the week, still up a uh, respectable 13.81%. But it wasn't long ago that it was up 17%. So it's going the other way. Uh, the NASDAQ was down 2.59% for the week, still up a hefty uh, 26.98%. But it was up 34% a couple of weeks back. So the markets are starting to give back. Um, and uh, one of the reasons is that a valuations. I mean, these markets are way overvalued, uh, but it's the interest rate environment. Um, we look at the 10 year U.S. Treasury bond. Yields went up dramatically this week, uh, closing at four and a quarter percent on the 10 year Treasury bond, briefly hit 4.30%. Uh, this is the highest interest we've seen since the Fed started raising rates, and it looks like it's going higher. Uh, the Fed came out this week, and minutes from their last meeting were released. Uh, they're talking about continuing to battle inflation. It's still a major risk, and um, the market interpreted that the Fed's going to continue to hike. And it, it's just interesting to see how analysts and Wall Street keep saying that the Fed's going to pause, Fed's going to pause. That's not what the Fed's saying. Should they pause? I think so. I mean, they're destroying the economy, and we're going to be seeing it in the months ahead. But they're also going to be destroying the markets. And I think they're going to continue to raise rates, and I think uh, it's going to have substantially adverse effect uh, on the stock market, the housing market, and the economy in general. So the 10-year at four and a quarter, well, why is that so important? Because a lot of interest rates are tied to the yield on the 10-year treasury bond. And uh, the 10-year treasury bond going up means that mortgage rates are going up. And this week, uh, we saw mortgage rates at the highest we've seen in 22 years. 22 years, that's saying something. And the 30-year fixed rate mortgage rose from 6.96% a week ago uh, to this week, 7.22%. And many economists say that um, mortgage rates are headed to 8%. Boy, that's incredible. I mean, a year and a half ago, you would never think we would be talking about 8% mortgage rates. Well, it's all part of Bidenomics. He's out there touting it. High mortgage rates, high inflation rates, collapsed banks, expensive groceries, record high rent, dwindling retirement accounts and savings accounts. Uh, and now we have a 30-year fixed rate mortgage headed to 8%. That's what economists are warning right now. The average payment on a $400,000 mortgage is now $1,000 more a month than it was two years ago. I mean, this is incredible. And it's not only mortgage rates. It's uh, car loans are in double digits now for many people, depending on your credit worthiness. Um, and other things in the economy, the prime rate, 
mortgage rates, uh, um, credit card rates, uh, business loan rates. We have, uh, what, $1.5 trillion in commercial real estate mortgages that have to be renegotiated and refinanced over the next couple of years at higher rates with dwindling values of the properties as many office buildings in big cities are half empty. Hotels are struggling in big cities. Uh, later on in the second hour, we'll talk about uh, how our cities are collapsing. Financially, uh, the crime rate in the cities is out of control. People fear to go to, into the cities, um, and it's getting worse by the day. Uh, cities are now becoming ungovernable, and we'll touch on that uh, in the second hour. Now, uh, it was also announced this week that uh, the leading economic indicators, the conference board's leading economic indicators, continue its decline in July, dropping four-tenths of a percent month over month, as expected. This is the 16th straight monthly decline, 16th straight monthly decline in the leading economic indicators, and the 17th month out of 18, the longest streak of decline since Lehman. And they had 22 straight months of declines from June 2007 to April 2008. This was prior to Lehman. So when you have 16 straight months of leading economic indicators going down, you are going into a recession or worse. Now, of course, the Biden administration will never admit it's a recession, but it's a recession nonetheless. Uh, And it's coming. You don't see these declines um, And historically, if I saw it three months in a row uh, with leading economic indicators down, it would indicate a recession. So the outlook uh, remains highly uncertain for the economy uh, based on all these indicators. And there's lots of them. There's lots of them. Uh, Inventory, uh, uh, commercial industry, building permits, uh, jobless claims, consumer goods orders, average work week. Uh, all these economic indicators are leading, and they're suggesting that economic activity is likely to decelerate and contract in the months ahead. So year over year, the LEI is down 7.5%, close to its biggest drop since 2008 uh, when we had the great financial crisis. And, um, And my guess is that this will lead to a severe recession. Now, I think that uh, as we enter the fall, we're going to see major hits to the financial markets. Uh, Seasonally, this is when it tends to happen. Nobody's been able to adequately explain to me uh, why this happens in um, September and October, where we have the biggest downturns in the market. Uh, Most major crashes have uh, happened in October or started in September. Uh, So we're only a couple of weeks away from that. My guess is I was telling you how uh, the Dow's up 4% for the year, the S&P's down 13.8, and the Nasdaq's up almost 27. I expect, uh, and I'm forecasting, that all those gains are going to go away between now and the end of the year. And uh, I'm guessing and predicting that the markets are going to end down for the year. Uh, I may be wrong. I, I hope hope I am. I mean, uh, that would be a pretty drastic deter- uh, downturn because if the Nasdaq can give up 27% uh, in just four months, that's a crash. Uh, so uh, 
we're going to keep a good eye on that. But, you know, the market has turned and it's starting to go down. The charts, I do my technical work um, looking at charts and technical indicators. Boy, they're flashing red signals. And uh, I haven't seen, you know, charts looking this toppy uh, since the last crash. Not the COVID crash, because that was not forecast. That came out of blue due to COVID. Uh, I'm talking about 2008. Um, I think we, we're headed for a very scary financial time. And if you uh, weren't happy last year looking at your 401k or your stock portfolio with the very uh, uh, negative year we had last year, uh, I would use this uh, rebound uh, as an opportunity to become more conservative. And I'm telling you, I, I, I'm really, really nervous about this market. And I've taken the um, the measures necessary to protect myself, to protect my clients. Uh, and, you know, uh, you, you should do the same yourself. Because I think a really scary declines uh, in front of us. Also this week, we saw Bitcoin, which was hovering around $30,000, uh, drop to below $26,000. Um, why did that happen? Uh, some are speculating because it came out that Elon Musk's company SpaceX, uh, that's launching all these satellites and stuff, uh, sold all their Bitcoin. They had quite a bit of it. And when that news came out, it spooked the market. Why is Elon Musk selling Bitcoin? But I think there's more to it than that. And uh, something we got to keep an eye on. If you're a Bitcoin fan, which I'm not, um, I just think it's... I don't know what it is. I still can't get my hands around what a Bitcoin is. I can't hold it. I could hold a gold coin, but I can't hold a Bitcoin. And how it's created, it's mined with these computers. and I don't get it. It sounds like a tulip to me. If um, you recall tulip mania hundreds of years ago, the bubble that popped. Uh, I, I, don't know what a, I don't know what a Bitcoin is. And I would never touch one because I don't put money in things that I don't understand. And I don't want to understand it, to be quite honest with you. I think the real, only real alternative money is gold and silver. Um, and I think it will continue to be. It's only been that way for 5,000 years. Well, you know, why should that change? Um, and one of the real concerns I think the Fed has and, and the markets do right now looking ahead to inflation uh, is energy prices. Um, oil's at $81.40 a barrel on Friday. Gasoline's been creeping up. It's over $5 in California, uh, $3.85 here in New Jersey. Why would anybody want to live in California? Uh, well, a lot of people aren't wanting to live there. A lot of people are leaving there for friendlier places like Texas and Arizona and Florida. Uh, but why would you want to pay a $1.15 more a gallon uh, for gasoline just because you live in California? Uh, another basket case hellhole. Liberal... Um, hellhole uh, is California, as is New York, as is New Jersey, Illinois, and Seattle, and Portland. We can go on and on. Um, we'll talk about that later on. So the rising energy prices is something that we have to be really concerned about. And if I was a person that had oil heat, uh, I'd be a little concerned watching the energy market these last few weeks uh, as it continues to rise. Um OPEC has made it clear that they're willing to cut production if they have to to keep prices high. And keep in mind that energy prices filter in uh, to everything we buy. 
It has to be manufactured. It has to be transported. So uh, anything from a box of cereal uh, to filling up your car uh, to heat in your house uh, is all dependent on the price of a barrel of oil. And some economists are saying we're on our way to $100 plus a barrel, which would destroy the economy. It would destroy the world economy. We'd be in a major recession or worse if that happens. And we'll be dealing with really incredible worldwide inflation. How about this story here? You know, you think if you can go to Harvard University um, that you and your family should be pretty well off, right? Well, this story came out this week. Harvard University is encouraging their students to sign up for food stamps. Despite the fact that the school is sitting on an endowment that is worth over $50 billion. That's right. You know, Harvard has $50 billion in cash. Tax-free, by the way. So Harvard would really uh, rather see their students get food assistance from the American taxpayer uh, than from their massive tax-free nest egg. And what are they saving it for? A rainy day? I don't know. Do people who run Harvard have any shame? They're encouraging their students to go on food stamps. So they, uh, Harvard recently organized an event to support graduate students enrolling in government food assistance programs with, um, uh, with a flyer to graduate students encouraging them to participate in the SNAPS benefits sign-up event in April. The flyer read, fuel your body and stock your pantry. Did you know that grad students may qualify for assistance paying for food and groceries? Harvard University is the wealthiest academic institution in the world uh, with $53 billion. And uh, they could support a, a wide array of student programs, including maybe free food uh, at the commissary uh, or at least discounted food. Um so they're saying if uh, if any of their students make less than um, $40,000 a year, because uh, many of these students also teach, uh, these graduate students, uh, but if they're making less than 40000 a year, they would um, should seek assistance um, from programs like SNAP, which is food stamps. It's beyond absurd. Why don't they just raise their salary? <laughs> I mean, they got $53 billion. Why don't they pay their student teachers Sixty thousand a year, uh, maybe the equivalent of what one student pays per year uh, to go there. I don't know; it's ridiculous. All right, next week is uh, poised to be a momentous week uh, as the BRICS countries come together in, uh, I believe, it's South Africa uh, from the twenty second to the twenty fourth uh, for their summit, uh, and a lot of people are speculating what's going to come out of this. Uh, and uh, some talk about uh, 40 new countries making applications to be part of the BRICS union. And there's been talk for for weeks now about are they going to announce that they're moving to some kind of united currency uh, that's backed by commodities and gold. Now, there's been various talks about that, some people in Russia said, yes, they're going to say something about that. They're going to announce that. Others saying no. Uh, and we'll see what happens this week. But this is a, 
a life-changing issue for the, the, the world, basically, because a lot of countries are going to be affected by this. You know, up to now, it's the U.S. dollar that's been the almighty currency, and all trade internationally has been based on on the dollar. And if you got, you know, half the world's population starting to use a different currency, that's a big deal. It's a big deal for them, but it's a bigger deal for us. Because the only reason why the dollar hasn't collapsed and the reason why we don't have hyperinflation right now is the reserve currency status of the U.S. dollar. Everybody needs it. So there's demand for it. There's demand for our bonds. There's demand for our dollars to buy oil and so forth. And that's been chipped away at year after year after year. And it's continuing. And they know it. Uh, The BRICs want to get away from the dollar. And 40 more countries uh, are joining, uh, what does BRICS stand for? Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. And there's many, many, many countries that have applied for membership. And more and more countries want to get away from the West. Look, they see what's happening. The West is on its way down. The West is bankrupt. They all have fiat currencies with no backing. They use, uh, the United States uses its reserve currency status to bully around the rest of the world. They've now weaponized the dollar. The biggest mistake we made, Biden made, uh, is confiscating all the dollar assets of Russia and wealthy billionaires in Russia. That told the rest of the world that the dollar now is weaponized. That if you don't do what the United States wants you to do, we can confiscate your assets. We didn't freeze their assets. We took it. Uh, Why would anybody want to have their money in U.S. dollars if that's the case? So few details have emerged about what they plan to discuss, but expansion is expected to be high on the agenda. As I said, some 40 nations have shown interest in joining, either formally or informally. They include Saudi Arabia, Argentina, Egypt, and a whole bunch of um, Indonesian and um, Asian countries. So this is huge. Uh, And they're going to do all their business with their own currency. And if it's backed by uh, commodities or gold, uh, whose currency would you want? A currency backed by nothing or a currency backed by commodities? And if they come up with a brick, if that's what they're going to call the currency... I'd invest in it. I'd have a good portion of my savings in bricks, especially if it's backed by commodities. And the question is, what will that do to the U.S. dollar? I'm telling you what it's going to do. It's going to collapse it. Now, chances are, I don't expect them to say this week that they're coming out with a commodities-based currency anytime soon. I could see them saying that they're moving towards that. They're investigating it. And there's a lot of complications to doing that. I mean, you have different economies. Each uh, uh, country has different gold reserves and so forth. So it'd be problematic to figure out how each country um, brings something to the table uh, to warrant how much brick they're going to have. But they're moving towards that and away from the U.S. dollar. And that's the big story here. And uh, if that's not enough, um, during the summit, 
both India and Russia are going to have space missions that land on the moon. Uh, and it's expected to happen during the summit, which is going to add a, another dimension to the event. Um, so here we see, again, BRIC countries, India and Russia, landing on the moon. When's the last time the United States put a spacecraft on the moon? Uh, 1973? Um, so again, we're being left behind in so many different ways. So uh, I'll be reporting on it. If news comes out of it, uh, today's the 20th on Sunday. Uh, today's the 20th Sunday, 22nd's Tuesday. Uh, if uh, there's anything to report, I'll report it on the midweek podcast uh, What that I up- upload 4 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. Otherwise, we'll report on it uh, back here on the Sunday program. All right, on Monday, left-wing radical Soros-sponsored uh, district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, which is home to Atlanta, uh, indicted Trump and basically anybody who had anything to do with him uh, while he was in office uh, on a racketeering charge. Now, racketeering, RICO, uh, was a statute that was enacted to battle the mob. Uh, and what she's, uh, in essence, saying is that these 18 people with Trump had a criminal enterprise to systemically commit crimes to overturn the election in Georgia. I mean, talk about trying to throw the kitchen sink at all these people. And the reason why they name 18 people, they figure one will feel pressured to turn on Trump and and lie about what happened. And this is typical what they try to do. But they are relentless. This is called lawfare. And we have a district attorney in one county in the United States putting forth an indictment of racketeering in an effort to kneecap Donald Trump's election chances. Uh, It's outrageous what's going on in our country. This is third world stuff. This is banana republic stuff, but they don't care. And I've said it many times on this program. They don't care how it looks like. They don't care. And that should scare you, is that they don't care how bad it looks. Now, of course, something like this uh, should be in a federal court, should not be in a district court in one state. Uh, and the Trump team is trying to get the, the case moved to a federal court. Because when this happened, they were federal officers. Um, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, worked for the federal government. Trump as president, federal government. Uh, so they're trying to move it to a place where he could probably get a fair trial. But look where all these trials are being set up. D.C., New York City, Atlanta, these are all... Um, blue hotbeds of Democrats uh, who hate Trump. And it's one after the other. When's the next lawsuit going to come? I mean, it's just relentless. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, who's guilty of sin of everything, including having now pseudonyms, which we'll talk about in a second in emails, nothing. Uh, If you don't think there's a two-tier justice system in this country, you're not paying attention. So uh, Donald Trump's attorneys claimed Georgia case belongs in federal court instead of being filed in the state by design. They're saying it was it was planned there. And don't you think for a moment that Merrick Garland doesn't know he's not coordinating with this. You know why they wanted to get it out of federal courts and into the state? Because if, if Trump is found guilty in the state of Georgia, 
and he becomes president, he cannot be pardoned. Apparently, he can only pardon somebody on a federal crime. So this is the multifaceted approach. You bring in federal lawsuits with the documents and with January 6th, and then you bring in state lawsuits with uh, the Alvin Bragg, stupid New York, Stormy Daniels felony indictment that we still don't know what the felony is yet, uh, and now this uh, tampering and racketeering on trying to overturn the election. That was stolen by 12,000 votes, right? You know, on election night, Trump was up 160,000 votes in, in uh, Georgia. Any other time, the media would have declared him the winner of the election would have been over. Uh, but if you recall, you remember overnight, all the Republicans were sent home because of a water pipe broke. There was no water pipe break. Then the Democrats were let back in. They were pulling out uh, crates worth of uh, votes under the table, under a curtain table. And they were running them through tabulation machines over and over and over again. It's on video. Oh, by the way, uh, what's her name? Uh... Ruby something or other. I forgot what her name is. Uh, yeah, I got it here. Uh, Ruby. Anyway, it's not important. This woman and her daughter, obviously Democrats, were running these uh, these ballots through. Now, quietly, a new report that was released in June by the FBI concluded that Georgia poll worker who jammed stacks of ballots through voting machines numerous times on election night 2020, after the observers, Republican observers were sent home, did nothing wrong. And this investigation, the bulk of it anyway, seems to have been conducted December 2020 and January 2021 by both the State Election Board and the Georgia Secretary of State's office. Um, so you see videos that are pulling hidden suitcases out of an un under a draped table, jamming the ballots through the machines multiple times. And it was just, it wasn't happening just on one table. It's happening in multiple tables. So according to the FBI, it is now legal to close the doors of an election center, banish observers and press, and start ramming stacks of ballots through the voting machines three times or more. That's all legal now. Right, But meanwhile, President Trump is indicted. So the people who steal the election and commit the crime go away scot-free. And the person who complains about it and is the victim of it is indicted on racketeering charges. And the worst part about it, Republicans refuse to act in 2020 and they're going to do nothing today. They are wussies. And uh, it was all a big lie about a pipe busting. Never happened. And, uh, but it's all legal, according to uh, Chris Ray, Bill Barr, Merrick Garland. Our elections are done, people. If they can get away with this stuff, I mean, it's done. Well, that was a Ruby Freeman. Ruby Freeman. And now I think she, she's suing somebody. Now that she's cleared by uh, the federal, FBI and Georgia authorities. Uh, they went on to say the fraud claims were unsubstantiated and found to have no merit, no merit, the investigation concluded. 
so I guess videos of somebody taking ballots from under a table and running it through a machine multiple times on multiple tables, no, not substantiated. Unbelievable. All right, Jonathan Turley, who I, I love Jonathan Turley. You see him on Fox News all the time. Not a conservative Republican. He's a Democrat, by the way. But he's a constitutional scholar. He's a professor at Washington University. And Fox likes to have him on. Uh, him, I like him. I like Dershowitz. Uh, they're not partisan. They tell it like the law is. And this is what Jonathan Turley had to say about the indictment of Trump uh, and 18 other individuals. Willis seems to have charged everything and everyone is allowing God to sort them out. Uh, you know, you look at this indictment and every call, every tweet, every speech seems to be a separate uh, criminal act that composes this conspiracy. Uh, that raises really troubling questions as to the criminalization of the challenges to election. I mean, Alan Dershowitz uh, had an interesting take on this. And he say using um, uh, the way these indictments are, are being put out as if if you lie, uh, it's a criminal act. Uh, Dershowitz, who has a great podcast, the Dersh podcast, I think it's called. Look it up on YouTube. Uh, he's very good. Uh, he knows the law, obviously. He's been doing it for 50 years. Uh, and again, these people, him and Turley, they're Democrats. They, they're not Trump Lovers, they're not MAGA people, but they they love the law and they love the Constitution, and they will not be biased on it. So he said, based on these indictments, Jack Smith can actually be indicted for a lie that he told in the indictment or an omission of fact. This is what he had to say. I've now read the indictment very, very carefully and very thoroughly. It is one of the strangest documents I've ever read. And to show you how open-ended and broad this indictment is, under the terms of this indictment, Jack Smith, the prosecutor, could be indicted. Let me explain why. The core of the indictment is that Donald Trump lied to the public. But Jack Smith lied. In his indictment, he outlined the speech that Donald Trump made on January 6th. It's a very important part of the indictment. But he deliberately, willfully, and with malice leaves out the key words he doctors the speech he leaves out the fact that donald trump said i want you to protest peacefully and patriotically peacefully and patriotically those are the two words that bring him within the first amendment now you can argue about that what you cannot argue about is that a decent prosecutor an honest lawyer doesn't leave those words out of the indictment a lie by omission under the law can be just as serious as a lie by commission so under the theory the absurd theory that lying is now criminalized, Jack Smith could be turned into a criminal. See how dirty and underhanded these people are? I mean, it's just shame, shameful that this is where the United States of America is right now, where he purposely left those uh, exculpatory words out of the indictment. They don't care about the law. This is all political. And they find Donald Trump is a threat to them, the deep state, and they are willing to do anything they have to do to take him down. And if these court cases don't work, I mean anything. And that scares me for his safety. Um, and don't say it hasn't been done before. Ask Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about his father and his uncle. 
Uh, it's happened before when an outsider comes in and tries to upset the swamp. And it's, it's, quite, it's very upsetting. Now, you have uh, Fox News has just been awarded uh, the second debate uh, a month from uh, this week. is uh, This week or next week is the, the first Republican debate on Fox News uh, hosted by uh, Brett Baer and uh, Martha McCallum. Uh, and Trump said today or yesterday that uh, he's not participating. And why should he? All they're going to do is take shots at him. And you know Fox News does not want Trump to be president. There's been an about face at Fox. Uh, ever since um, Paul Ryan became one of the directors, the board of directors, and there was a, a turnover in uh, the management of Fox News run by two women, uh, very left wing, uh, and they are anti-Trump. Anybody but Trump they want. And it's interesting that the Republican National Committee, you know, gave uh, uh, Fox both debates so far. And Trump made the right move. Why does he want to debate these people? Many of them have 1% or 2% of the polls. He's up by like 35%. All he's going to do, all they're going to do is attack him from the moderators at Fox uh, to the other candidates. Let them battle it out amongst themselves. And Trump went on to say this week, the reason why he's doing it, what do I want to do this for? And he mentioned Reagan. Reagan didn't go to debates. He was up by so much. It was a waste of his time. But you know that they're going after him. And uh, this is a commercial that uh, Fox has out now um, advertising the debate. Even though President Trump is kicking everyone's ass in the primary polls... We're still trying to set him up with our bullshit Republican primary debate. I mean, maybe he'll show up. And we're just hoping everyone takes shots at him so we can help Ron DeSantis. Because we're Fox News. And we suck. And we don't really give a shit. About our viewers' opinion. We only care about getting a big, fat paycheck. And about not getting fired like Tucker Carlson. The first Republican primary debate by Martha McCallum and Brett Bayer. Because we're Fox News and we suck. <laughs> uh, I love that. <laughs> Uh, pe- pe- some people on the internet are just amazing. Uh, it sounds just like them, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> but it's telling the truth. Uh, uh, sorry for the um, profanity in there, but it was too funny not to put on. Uh, we're Fox News and we suck. Uh, Fox News has been um, pretty much forbidden in my household. Uh, we don't listen to it, although we do listen to the five. Uh, and uh, this week, uh, you know, Gutfeld, who is the number one guy on Fox right now, uh, you know, he he has trouble tolerating the liberal, the one liberal on the on the panel there. First it was Geraldo Rivera, boy, they went at it so many times, and Geraldo's not there anymore. It shows you that Fox knows where their bread is buttered. Uh, but Gutfeld got upset with um, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Harold Ford Jr. Um, who seems like a really nice guy, actually. And, you know, he's got to tout the left point. Uh, otherwise, it's useless to even have him on there. And he's got to answer to his own people. Uh, but this was the exchange that went on. It got a little bit of heated here. Listen to this. What federalism allows states to do to enforce their, their laws here. And we'll see, to your point, which you said is exactly right, Judge. This, his state of mind, if they have evidence showing his state of mind is different than what he claims, he'll have a he'll have. You don't think problem. this is totally over the top uh, as a judge? Or, I mean, the, even when everything you say makes sense, except it's all bullshit. 
It's well, all nonstop. We know this is designed to banish and isolate and to destroy a political outsider. Who predicted this? Chuck Schumer. Remember, said, yep. "Don't mess with the oh, intel agencies. So right. Don't mess with the intel agencies. They'll keep. They'll arrest your team and keep it off the field." But do you not think he's done anything? Oh, I, to deserve I, any of this? He is probably one of the most troubling, consequential figures in history. But no. He doesn't deserve any of this. And by the way, why didn't they indict him until he announced he was running for president? Well, they I mean, had to give do me this. a break. And that was Judge Janine uh, chiming in at the end there. But they're right. This is purely political. It's obvious it is. They don't care how obvious it is. The rest of the world laughs at us uh, and looks at us as a third world country. And boy, I tell you, it's amazing in two and a half years, the destruction that Joe Biden, not Joe Biden, whoever's pulling the strings, are doing to the country. I mean, they're tearing us apart, and that's the goal. They're doing everything that's opposite of what's good for America. From the border to Afghanistan uh, to economic policies uh, to destroying our energy industry to destroying our judiciary uh, and uh, our our, uh, law enforcement operations. It's just one thing after the other. The military has no ammunition. I mean, you couldn't script it better if the goal was to destroy America and to divide us and put us at each other's throats. Uh, It's terrible. Before we move on, I want to play uh, Newt Gingrich, who was you know, on point uh, on Fox this week. He, you know, he said it like it is. And, you know, it's pretty scary what he had to say. And he's a pretty measured guy. Uh, but he says uh, we're, we're looking at a, a constitutional crisis here. I think what you're seeing tonight is one tree in a forest. And I think we are drifting towards the greatest constitutional crisis since the 1850s uh, and the rise of secession and the Civil War. I don't mean that as hyperbole. Uh, If you read Andy McCarthy's remarkable book, Ball of Collusion, which came out in 2019, he makes very clear that it is Barack Obama who corrupts the Justice Department. It is Hillary Clinton who routinely breaks the law and gets away with it. And now we have Joe Biden who's learned. He's learned from Obama that doesn't matter what you do, If you're a liberal Democrat, you will not be prosecuted. He learned from Hillary that a person in high public office can get millions and millions of dollars. And they learned from watching Donald Trump that a true outsider willing to take on the entire system could destroy their entire machine. So what you're seeing across the country is a desperate last-ditch effort by a corrupt machine to destroy their most dangerous opponent in a way which not only breaks the Constitution, destroys the rule of law, and establishes a moment of bitterness, uh, which I think will last for a generation or more. I think this is going to be a horrendous period, and we just need to understand. The people who want to control America and dictate to the rest of us will break any law, lie about any topic, and manipulate the system any way they can, and that includes a lot of the elite news media. Bravo, Newt. That's exactly the way it is. And he laid it out very succinctly uh, what's really going on here. 
And the last thing he said was important, that the elite news media is all part of it. They are corrupt. Uh, they're no longer journalists. They are part of the deep state, liberal, left-wing, Democratic Party. And that's all that really matters to them. And they don't care about the Constitution. They don't care the divisiveness in the country. They are an arm. They're part of the machine. And uh, it's pretty scary. You know, he said this is the worst constitutional crisis since the Civil War. And he goes on to say the divisiveness that's being created by this will last a generation or more. Uh, that's not very optimistic for the future of our country. And it's um, pretty, pretty depressing and sad. But it's purposeful. And, you know, the question is, what's the motivation? Um, I think he laid it out, I guess. Uh, they have a machine and they don't want anybody coming in and messing with it. All right, so as President Trump is being charged with bogus crimes, uh, the man who's actually committing major crimes, uh, Joe Biden, um, gets away with murder. And it comes out, every, more bombshells are coming out every day. This week, the House Oversight Committee said it has evidence that Joe Biden was using at least three different pseudonyms while doing illicit business dealings with foreign actors while he was vice president. Uh, this is damning information, uh, but everything's damning to the Bidens. Joe Biden had an alias he was using while he was vice president of the United States. There was only one person copied on an email to Robert L. Peters, his alias. You know who that person was? Hunter Biden, who at the time was getting paid a million dollars a year to work for a, a dirty energy company located in Ukraine named Burisma. Uh, so uh, now Biden's using pseudonyms. He's trying to hide. Why would anybody want to hide? Their name. Well, well, what do you think? I mean, they don't want to get caught doing something. There cannot be a non-sinister reason for that. He had Robert Peters, a completely fake identity, um, and then he had two other ones, too. I don't know what they were. Uh, Robert L. Peters is one. Uh, Robin Ware was another one. And J.R.B. Ware. So he used three different aliases. So tell me, how many honest people do you know that aren't spies uh, would need multiple aliases? Um, it's just amazing. The actual evidence of crimes, high crimes, bribery, influence peddling, impossible treason are there. And there's made up crimes against Trump and he's indicted. And indicted, and indicted. I forgot who said it. Somebody was saying it was really good, good saying. He said, if uh, indictments were frequent flyer miles, I think it was Jonathan Turley, he said, if indictments were frequent flyer miles, the Georgia case would be for free. <laughs> but it's not for free. It's going to cost them a ton of money. And that's the thing. All these people, these 18 people named in this racketeering lawsuit, you know what happens to them? Even if they're exonerated, it's going to cost them probably at least a million dollars each to defend themselves. And meanwhile, the people bringing these charges, well, they use government money to prosecute it. It's not coming out of their pocket. And that's the problem with um, the situation with law in the country right now. They will just indict you just to destroy you. And no matter, you're a loser no matter what happens. 
Your reputation is, is, is destroyed. But more importantly, your financial situation can be destroyed. Do you know what it costs to defend yourself against charges like this? Unbelievable. So the question now is, wh- when are they going to uh, remove Biden, at least from the election coming up next? I mean, there's no way this guy could be president for the next four years, uh, five years, because he has a one year worth of campaigning. I mean, he's not going to get better. Uh, he's obviously lost it. I mean, he just wanders around stages. He won't take questions from reporters. I mean, this is crazy. What president do you ever know that never takes a question from a reporter? They shuffle them out and they shuffle the press out. I mean, what's the use of having, you know, a White House press corps if they can never ask questions of the president? And when they ask uh, uh, his uh, spokesperson, Karinja, whatever her name is, uh, she never answers a question either. She refers you to somebody else. This is unbelievable. Uh, unreal what's happening in America. Really, it's just absurd. Um, but it goes on. And then creepy Joe Biden, you hear what he said? When he does open his mouth, uh, it's pretty cringeworthy. This is what he had to say about kids and ice cream. I want to say one thing to your children. I know some really great ice cream places around here. <laughs> and daddy owes you. Yeah. So talk to me afterwards. Daddy owes you? What a creep. I mean, the guy's 80 years old. At what age do you stop acting like a pedophile? Sniffing little kids' hairs and touching them and everything else. Isn't there a point where you stop acting like a pedophile? What a creepy guy this guy is. Um, Your president, the president of the United States, the head of the free world. Unbelievable. All right, did you see this week uh, somewhere in uh, California, uh, Nordstrom's, like 50 teens uh, burst into the store, basically stole everything they can grab. Uh, and this is becoming more and more commonplace in Democrat-controlled cities. Um, and this is called lawlessness. And in order for a civilized society to function, most people, most, have to be willing to follow the rules. And then if most people do, the ones that don't, well, law enforcement can deal with it. Uh, this is the way America worked forever. I mean, there is, I guess, a high standard of morality in the population around most people. And, you know, the police could successfully deal with the bad apples out there. But now everything has changed. I mean, we're seeing lawlessness at a level we've never seen before. And it's organized. We see, you know, multitudes of young people, you want to call them people, that don't care about any law. And they're making parts of the country just ungovernable. And that's because there's no repercussions for what they did. And a perfect example is what I'm talking about that happened in Nordstrom in Southern California last Saturday. There was 50 young thieves systematically looting a Nordstrom store in broad daylight. And they got away with... uh, they say somewhere close to $100,000 worth of merchandise. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, this kind of thing never happened. And now we're seeing mobs of looters all over the country on a regular basis. And again, it's well-coordinated. And, you know, nobody sheds a 
shred of remorse about this. And nothing will happen to these people. Nothing. Uh, and this is um, something we're going to see more and more of. And stores are closing. They're moving away. What's that going to do to these cities? As all the retail establishments move away. I saw a YouTube video recently. A guy's walking around San Francisco during the day. Uh, pretty courageous guy, I should say. <laughs> Hopefully he was armed. Um and you could see store by store by store in downtown is closed. It's a ghost town down there, except for zombie drug addicts walking around. It's a shame. I mean, I've been to San Francisco a number of times. It's a beautiful place, or at least used to be. I was there 25 years ago, and you still saw a lot of homeless. You still saw a lot of drug addicts on the street. But now, forget about it. It's Mad Max. Um. And some people try to downplay the severity of these robberies. Uh, They say, well, these are big corporate retailers. They can afford losses. No, they can't. You know, U.S. retailers are going to lose $100 billion due to theft this year alone. A A tenth of a trillion dollars in losses. Someone was saying, I read, it says, we used to be the land of the free. Now we're the land of the free for all. Um. And now you see retailers locking items behind glass cases. But that hasn't stopped the criminals. They just smash and grab and take what they want. Other retailers have warned their employees not to confront shoplifters. Let them do it. It's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable what's happening to our country. And nobody seems to want to do anything about it. Although we're starting to see a turning in that... um, even the liberals in these cities now are starting to complain about the illegals being flooded into their cities, the crime on the streets. Uh, I don't care if you're a liberal or not. You don't want to be raped. You don't want to be robbed. You don't want to be beat up for nothing. And I'm telling you, the, the things that I'm seeing now, that just the depravity. In California, I believe it was, a woman, 83 years old, was not cold by a thug. She's laying on the street, on the sidewalk, right by a bus stop, unconscious. A guy gets off the bus and walks over to her. And what does he do? Does he help her? No. He shifts through her pocketbook and then walks on. Have we become that depraved? There's no morals. If you don't believe evil has been unleashed on the world. You should see that video. And just the the violence that we're seeing in schools. You see these kids beating the crap out of each other, mercilessly. The person's unconscious and they're kicking them in the face and the stomach. They don't care. They're trying to kill them. You see video after video after video of this. It's it, it's sad. It's scary. Where is our country going? And right now, it's a, it's a war. If you don't believe there's a war going on in the world, good versus evil, then you're not paying attention. And right now, evil is winning. I believe God will win in the end. Uh, but what kind of hell do we have to go through first? Uh, 
and young people especially just don't seem to care. Is that parenting or is it something else? I don't know. But everything that's happening morally with this gender stuff and everything else, it just doesn't end. And it gets worse and worse and more depraved, more immoral. Um, and it's sad. Here's some of the examples of the evil and immorality and deprived behavior. Um, I couldn't believe this headline. Minneapolis Arts Center slammed for encouraging quote-unquote family-friendly demon summoning. That's right, demon summoning. Uh, an arts and culture center in Minneapolis has received backlash after its promoted event encouraging families to attend a ceremony to summon and befriend a demon of their choosing. Yeah, really, that's really what happened. Um, the Walker Arts Center held a pagan ritual geared towards families last weekend with the performance called Lilith, the Empathetic Demon. Um, and on their website, the organization website reads, demons have a bad reputation, and maybe we're just not very good at getting to know them. Families are invited to create a vessel to trap the demon that knows them best, perhaps the demon of overthinking, and then participate in a playful ceremony to summon and befriend their demon. The report notes that the Art Center received millions of dollars in taxpayer funds through Minnesota's Art and Cultural Heritage Fund, which routinely funds projects with left-wing agenda. What could go wrong? Demon summoning. Um... File this one next to you. Remember uh, the after-school Satan clubs that are doing the same thing all over the country? Do you need any more evidence that we are Sodom and Gomorrah? That's what the United States has turned into. And I don't say that lightly, and I'm not joking. If you know your, your Bible, you know how that ended. Uh, not very good. It's crazy what's going on. And now we got this uh, this crazy gender thing that came out of the blue. I don't, maybe I missed it, but it just seems over the last year, maybe two years, uh, that we're hearing more and more about this craziness, this gender dysphoria that everybody has. And now we have uh, state governments that, that think that you should not know that your child wants to transgender and wants gender-affirming care at school. And in my state right here, New Jersey, George, uh, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy doesn't think parents have a right to know of major decisions that kids make at school about their gender identities. Uh, and what's happening here is... Um, uh, a couple of school districts here on the Jersey Shore, Middletown, uh, Marlboro, and Manalapan, English Town, these three districts are requiring schools to notify mom and dad if their kids want to switch genders. Sounds reasonable to me. But State Attorney General Matthew Placken actually went to court Tuesday to stop these three districts from enforcing this. So the New Jersey State Attorney General is suing school districts 
whose board of education that the parents want on the board and voted for want their kid want to be noticed. You know, they got to notify you you if they give your your kid an aspirin. But no, they can give them gender affirming hormone blocking drugs and you don't have to be notified. So Attorney General Placken got an injunction against um, these policies back in June. And the judge in the trial in Freehold um, will decide any day whether the three districts can go ahead anyway until a larger case is decided. So under New Jersey law, kids can claim to be any sex they choose, and the schools must accommodate them, letting them use any bathroom, locker room, etc., even without parental consent. Um, that's radical. It really is. I mean, teachers need parental permission for everything from administering medicine to showing movies to offering snacks. And now, but they don't have to say this. And even worse than that, uh, Governor Murphy thinks schools shouldn't even have to tell their parents about their kids' decisions. Rather, he believes that teachers and other staff should actively deceive mom and dad. And what they do is on standardized tests in the classroom, they let the child use whatever gender name they want. But if they send anything home, like a quiz or anything home, they use their biological name. That's deception. Now, what Murphy thinks, or pretend that he thinks, that telling a parent would be, quote-unquote, outing the child, an act of discrimination. Even though everyone at school would know, since the kid wants people to know. After all, if he's going to wear a dress to school, don't you think his parents would know? Um, But parents obviously disagree. Um, And one parent who was protesting out in Freehold outside the courthouse said, I do not, will not ever co-parent with the government. Um. But we shouldn't even be having this argument. It, it's so absurd. It's um, it's so anti-parent. It's so authoritative. It's so uh, where the state has control over your kids. And New Jersey shouldn't be uh, be um, dissing parents like this. They should be encouraging parents, encouraging parents' involvements with their kids, not keeping secrets from them. So we'll see, we'll see how that court case works itself out. More, um, more evidence of insanity and uh, evil. Uh, and uh, I don't even know what to call it anymore. Depravity. This is one of the most bizarre stories that I've come across uh, about transgenderism. A Muslim transgender woman, quote unquote, is suing their former boyfriend over their hostage testicles. <laughs> that's right. That's what I said, testicles. A Michigan trans Muslim woman is suing her former boyfriend to retrieve her balls that are sitting in his refrigerator. Brianna Kingsley says William Wojciechowski is holding her testicles and won't let them go. 
and she wants her balls back. <laughs> Every day our world is getting stranger. Do you think 10 years ago uh, we'd be talking about this? It's collective insanity. And it's amazing how many people have it. I mean, headlines like this show how stupid and insane um, this gender ideology is. Uh, but so many on the left are so brainwashed to it, that this doesn't even bother them. question I have is, A, why does the transgender woman want her testicles back? <laughs> Not much you could do with him at this point if you had him cut off. I think you passed the point of no return. Uh, and why does the boyfriend want to keep the testicles in his refrigerator? Uh, boy, there's, there's something to delve deep in on the psychiatry couch. Uh, just total insanity. All right, so the whole COVID thing is, you know, we're done with it. Everybody's passed it. You know, we learned to live with it. I have had COVID twice. Haven't had the vax, won't ever. I thank God every day I get up, I never took that. Uh, as we hear more and more evidence of people dying. Um, but the Biden regime is preparing to reinstate COVID-19 lockdowns. Beginning with masking mandates for the, the TSA and airport employees, uh, reportedly as early as mid-September. A high-level high TSA official reached out to InfoWars detailing a Tuesday meeting where TSA managers were informed of new memorandums and policies that will re-implement mask wearing. So this is, this is supposed to start in mid-September for everybody who works at the TSA and airport employees. And then, according to the TSA official, further details on how the policy will escalate will be provided next week. The official added that by mid-October, mask wearing will be mandated for pilots, flight staff, passengers, and all airport patrons. So here we go again. They're going to try to lock us down again. And now, did you hear this new variant that's out? All the media is out there talking about this new mutated variant. By the way, it supposedly doesn't do anything different than the other variants to you. It's relatively mild. But now the fear comes out. We're just about a year away from the next presidential election. Got to get people in fear. Got to get the masks on them. We got to get the mail-in ballots going again. And I won't play. I'll tell you that. I ain't putting a mask on. I won't fly anywhere. I'll stay home. And if I have to go into a grocery store with a mask, I'm going in without it. You can arrest me. Um, the TSA uh, representatives were told that it was not a matter of if, but when official COVID numbers will go back up. And they expect by mid-October a return to forced masking policies that the Biden administration previously only reluctantly ended after massive pressure. People are going to push back this time. People are not going to accept this. The news outlet reported both whistleblowers were told this rollout will be in tandem with the new COVID variant hysteria that the MSM, the mainstream media, had been reporting on this week. It's the same old game plan. And now the media is pushing for another lockdown. And now they're going to try to bring out another fear porn from well, the so-called health experts just in time for the next election, the same old playbook.
Uh, I don't think Americans are going to play the game this time. Uh, I just don't think so. Meanwhile, we're still seeing people uh, die from the vaccine. little predictive programming there from uh, Pink Floyd 45 years ago. Uh, Very prescient uh, as it's coming here. Headline, pilot dies in bathroom during flight from Miami after suffering health emergencies. This is the second pilot that's died in flight in a week. Uh, I wonder uh, what happened to him. He uh, started feeling uh, sick. Or, or lightheaded, went into the bathroom, dropped dead. Uh, this is on a um, Latam Airlines flight. Uh, I guess it's a, a Chile, uh, Chilean airline company. Uh, nothing, nothing to see here. More uh, shocking, sudden deaths for young people here. Um, Sports World is mourning the loss of a seemingly healthy former British Olympic athlete who passed away under unknown circumstances. The Daily Mirror reported reported that Helen Smart, who represented Team Great Britain as a swimmer in the Olympics before becoming a teacher, died at the age of 43 on Tuesday. The cause of Smith's demise is unknown at this time. Her family described the death as sudden and were shocked by her passing. We're seeing this all the time. The mother said her daughter had never been sick and the entire family was in shock. Headline, I can't make sense of it. A 17-year-old star Alabama basketball player dies suddenly after collapsing during a workout, leaving his family devastated and confused. A 17-year-old basketball star with his whole life ahead of him died suddenly. There's the word, died suddenly. Thursday afternoon, leaving his family devastated and confused. Um... The exact cause of White's death is unknown at this time. White's mother said he was feeling perfectly normal and his sudden death made no sense to her. Of course it didn't. Kids are coming down with myocarditis, heart issues, sudden death, and they're still pushing it. For kids as young as six months old, anybody who allows their child to get shot with this stuff, should be arrested for child abuse. And they're still pushing this vaccine. And now they're going to try to roll out another pandemic scare and put the masks on and lock us down again. Oh, we have a new variant, so we need a new booster shot. And people are dropping dead. And, of course, they'll never report that it was vaccine-related. But why is insurance companies reporting a 40% increase in deaths of people between the ages of like 20 and 35. What's different these last couple of years uh, than the years before? You don't see increases like that. The statistics don't work that way. If you saw a 1% or 2% difference, that would be concerning. And here we have insurance companies saying 40% of young people are dying. Um not to mention the number of people who are being disabled from this, uh, who are retiring from sports. I read it to you, uh, I don't know if it was Wednesday or, or Sunday last week. Pages upon pages of soccer players, football players, 
Now, uh, Rand Paul, who's been calling out Dr. Fauci uh, about him lying about gain-of-function research, which look what this guy did, right? And it's becoming more and more evidence that this is what happened. His National Institutes of Health, he finances the Wuhan lab. They create the COVID, uh, COVID um, pandemic. It's released from there. He's on TV all the time, still in fear and everybody. Saying to wear the mask, don't wear the mask. The mask don't help. It does help. Uh, they rush the vaccine. And he makes millions of dollars off of it. Millions. We still haven't ascertained how much. So you cause the problem, and then you get rich solving the problem. Now, Dr. Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, who is a doctor, has called him out repeatedly on this and says that he's referred him for criminal prosecution for perjury. I mean, just lying about it. And uh, they had some interesting back-to-backs, you know. But Fauci stated right out that he didn't fund it. And then Senator Paul asked uh, Fauci uh, if anybody got money from the vaccine companies. And this was his answer. Here's what I want to know. It's not just about you. Everybody on the vaccine committee, have any of them ever received money from the people who make vaccines? Can you tell me Uh, that? Can you tell me if anybody on the vaccine approval committees ever received any money from people who make vaccines? Soundbite number one, are you going to let me answer a question? Okay, so let me give you some information. First of all, according to the regulations, people who receive royalties are not required to divulge them, even on their financial statement, according to the Bayh-Dole Act. So let me get this straight. What kind of answer is that? We don't have to disclose it. That's not The answer is yes or no. Did you, does anybody in a vaccine committee get royalties from the vaccine makers? And he goes on to cite, we don't have to divulge that even on our financial disclosure forms. Why not? And my point is, how could the people who approve the safety and efficacy of the vaccines profit by approving the safety and uh, efficacies of the vaccines, which are not safe or effective? People still get COVID. There's a a comedian. um, His name is... um, what is his name? Jimmy Dory. I think that's his name. He had a pretty funny comedy routine. It's a small little snippet from it. But sometimes comedy uh, tells the truth. I'm not saying that the COVID vaccine doesn't work. All I'm saying is we all got the COVID vaccine and then we all got COVID. Imagine if we all took the polio vaccine, then we all got polio. Be like, hey, I don't think that polio vaccine works. Why? Because I got polio. Oh, well, it's just supposed to lessen your symptoms. Oh, then it worked. Then it worked. Pretty funny stuff, but it's not. It's not funny at all. But... Uh, I guess that's the only way you could say it in the form of a comedy routine uh, to tell the truth. Um, But you wonder why, you know, all these news media outlets, right? Everybody was pushing the vaccine and they're still doing it. 
regardless of the stories coming out about people dying suddenly. But by the way, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't uh, saw the movie uh, Died Suddenly, look it up on the internet. Uh, amazing, amazing documentary on what's really happening to people that uh, have taken the vaccine. Um, uh, and it's probably been censored and everything else, of course. But why do you think that every single news organization in the mainstream media has been pushing the vaccine? Well, maybe this is the reason. Anderson Cooper 360, brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline, brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference, brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight, brought to you by Pfizer. Early start, brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. Bill Gates advice on how to combat mistrust in science at 60minutesovertime.com sponsored by Pfizer. So do you get it? I mean, all the media has been bought up. There was so much billions of dollars going slushing around. It found its way into every news organization. It found its way into the panel that approves vaccines, including Dr. Fauci. I wonder how many millions he made on this. Uh, so you have a mainstream media pushing the fear, pushing the vaccine is safe and effective. You got big tech censoring anybody that comes out with any concerns about the vaccine or alternative uh, uh, methods of dealing with it, like iver- ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Now you see the conspiracy. This is a big conspiracy. And it made people really rich and a lot of people really rich. It made, obviously, Pfizer very rich uh, and at the detriment of uh, not only the American public, but the the planet, the population of the planet who's been taking this, has been categorized as a bio-warfare weapon. Um, And uh, people now paying the price through all kinds of ailments. Uh, We, every day I read another multitude of stories of people who have a heart attack, young kids, died suddenly. It's out of control, and it's not being reported to you. Uh, and it, it's outrageous uh, what's going on here. And they still have this vaccine on the market. Regardless of how many injuries there are, how many sudden deaths there are, they don't care. And when I say evil in the world, as I was saying a little earlier, I mean it. There is evil in the world. They don't care about you or me or our children. They're trying to exterminate us. I really truly believe that. And that brings me to uh, the dreadful situation in Maui. It bothers me. I can't explain how bothered I am by this. Uh, and it looks like the the deaths are being underreported so far. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's getting very, very suspicious. Uh, There's a media blackout. No media is allowed within miles of the fire. Why is that? Shouldn't the media be able to do its job? Nope. You'll get arrested if you come anywhere near it. 
Why is that? Why didn't the emergency sirens go off? Well, the head of uh, Maui's emergency management agency uh, decided not to have the fire. And his, his, uh, his reasons for not putting the sirens on is that, well, it's usually used for a tsunami warning. And people are taught that if the siren goes off to go up into the hills, and that's where the fire was the worst. So we were trying to save people. By the way, he, uh, he resigned, uh, I think, yesterday or the day before, citing health reasons. Well, how about he should resign from smoke inhalation? That should be the health reason. Um, but, of course, nothing affected him. Um, so they didn't put the sirens on. Uh, the people, uh, and by the way, did you see a head of the, the water management guy there, some left-wing lunatic, wouldn't release water so they could fight the fire um, because water is precious and we can't waste it. Uh, you can't make this stuff up. But the situation is really harrowing there. People, uh, they're getting very, very little help from the federal government. Yeah, Biden's going to give them a one-time check of $700. Whoopie-doo. And after being shamed by, by, by saying no comment when asked about it. And, and I truly believe he didn't understand the question or he didn't, wasn't informed on what happened in Maui. That's, they may keep him in the dark about everything. Or he was informed about it, and because of his advanced dementia, he just doesn't remember it. And he said no comment. I don't think he was being callous. I really don't. I just think he was being clueless. But now he's being shamed to taking that long trip to, to, to Hawaii sometime soon, maybe next week. Um, but these poor people, I mean, eyewitness accounts that are coming out of there are just crazy. I'm going to play for you uh, the testimony of a guy who him and his wife wound up in the water uh, because the fire was coming all the way to the front street there where their cars were. And you see all those burned out cars along the water. And they were in the water for three hours. And the way they explained the firestorm, even when in the water, is terrifying. Uh, listen to this. Yeah, unfortunately, all of our routes were basically blocked by police and it pigeonholed and forced us down into Lahaina Town on French Street, which is an absolute death trap. I mean, we see the images of what, and I, I mean, I just, I love this area and I'm so sorry for what all of you have been through. Um, just on a personal level, but we're, we, we see the images of, of Front Street, and you are right. It became a death trap, and people uh, in those scorched cars, they either made it into the water or they died in those cars. I want to ask you, once you made it to the water, um, what was that experience? I'm so sorry. Well, what was that experience like? Because I think a lot of, a lot of people here, yeah, oh, it's, it's an island, make it to the ocean. But, but you were there for hours, and that is not a safe area to be in as well. There are some people who didn't make it through the night in, in the ocean. Um, the fire was going into the ocean. Um, the best thing that I can, the best way to explain it was a continuous bomb going off. So in the, that fire was, we, there's boats on fire 50 yards out. So even in the ocean at points, we were still getting burned. Um, you know, the video you're showing right now where, the, you know, there's rough waters, fortunately, you, you know, the video you're showing you doesn't have the flames actually coming in the water because, you know, it, it, it was bad. There was nowhere to go. At points, we didn't know where land was. There was points where we're starting to pass out and we're about to drown. We had to come to shore. The cars that were parked next to shore caught on fire or exploding. And it was a, a leapfrog of fire, basically. Go out. Uh, we're getting burned. Come in. 
go out. Uh, everywhere we were, we were getting burnt uh, or we couldn't breathe. How many hours um, were you in that water and what happened? You, I mean, you were taking care of five dogs on top of all of this. What happened to those animals? Uh, we were able to save four out of the five dogs. It's okay, baby. Um, we, they, we had two with us, two of them were found later. One is still missing, which is Asher chocolate lab that everybody's still looking for. We spent about three hours in total in the water, if not more. Keep in mind, this is over a 12 hour period. This is from going from, uh, 3.30 in the afternoon to about three o'clock in the morning. Um, it, it's so hard to describe being out in the ocean, not knowing where you are, and being on fire, not knowing where land is. At points, the current's pulling us out where we can't touch the ground. At times, I I remember just telling her to make sure that she saves herself. Don't worry about, you know, if I start drowning out here, you save yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the most terrifying experience of our life. I, I oh, and Andresa, I cannot imagine um what that experience was like um, through all of this. What is your mom thinking? Does, does she think that you are alive in this moment? And Josh, I appreciate you hanging on here. I know these are your community members as well. And I, I want to hear about your experience in just a moment. Um, but very quickly, Mike, did your mom think that you were alive or gone through all of this? No, she thought we were dead until 1230 the next day when um, I happened to get a signal and all the text messages from that night came through. And that's when I immediately called her. Um, a very emotional connection with my mom. And when I, when I spoke with her, I broke down. Could you imagine the fear in that? My God, uh, this is unlike any disaster I, I, I've experienced uh, uh, or even seen in the news over the years, over my lifetime anyway. Uh, and apparently it looks like a thousand, if not thousands of people died in the worst possible way that night. Um, on Maui, and uh, hopefully, this is not suspicious that this was just a natural disaster. Um, but it looks like a lot of mistakes were made by the police directing traffic right into Front Street, where the where it became ground zero for destruction. Um, uh, the sirens not going off. The crazy left wing head of water management who didn't release water for five hours after it was requested by the town, uh, just terrible, terrible disaster. But he doesn't have to worry because, you know, Biden's going to send him $700. That should make up for it all. And uh, what's he going to do once he gets there? He's going to walk around and look at rubble? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but he's not going to install uh, confidence and uh, sympathy uh, for these people. They feel like they've been abandoned by the federal government. Meanwhile, we're sending hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine into that black hole. Uh, why not commit $100 million to Maui to relocate these people, rebuild their homes? You know, many of these homes didn't have insurance. Um, and now uh, these people lost everything. And as I mentioned on Wednesday's show, uh, you got these vultures who are coming around calling these people up trying to buy their property. Just just outrageous. But say a prayer for these poor people. And uh, if you're uh, having your heart to d- donate, uh, find a good GoFundMe page. 
Yesterday, I made a donation to one that, that's being run by a guy who is in uh, Lahaina, and he's giving the money directly to families. He's writing checks. No middleman, no administration. Um, I wish I had the, the website in front of me. If you want to find out about it, email me, lou at thefinancialphysician.com, and I'll give you the link to the GoFundMe. He's raised $100,000 so far. And uh, you want to talk about money going to a good cause. Don't send it to the Red Cross. That's a waste of money. That's a black hole. Send it to uh, uh, somebody who's actually uh, going out of their way to make sure that the right people get it. And more importantly than anything, you know, say a pair of prayer for these poor people. Because not only did they lose, lose everything, many people lost children, family members. Um, uh, it's just horrific, the losses there. Uh, and it's going to take decades to rebuild. Uh, what's was a paradise in Hawaii. All right, we've come to the end of our, what is a very long podcast today. So much to talk about every week. And uh, what we don't get to today, and I didn't get to a lot, uh, we'll cover on uh, Wednesday's midweek podcast. That'll be up by 4 o'clock uh, uh, Wednesday afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us and share the podcast. That's how our podcast grows. There's no other way. Um, but people who enjoy the show, sharing it with people that they think would uh, enjoy it as well. Uh, put it on your social media, email it to your friends, the link. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with me at all, just go to my email, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. If you want me to cover a topic or you have a personal issue that I can help you with, feel free to email me. If you want to set up a no-obligation complimentary financial review uh, at my office, call 732-905-8100. And if you're out of town and you don't live on a Jersey Shore, you certainly can do either a Zoom conference or a telephone conference. And be sure to join me Wednesday for a midweek edition of The Financial Physician. And always remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. See you next time.